I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. Hope you've had a great week. Uh, I know we've got some great things next week. I will say again that uh, Monday and Tuesday are live from the set of The Chosen with uh, cast and crew interviews. Very exciting. That is pre-recorded, so I've already seen it, and it's so good. I hope you will join me on Monday and Tuesday for that. Today, we're going to talk with someone who is a legend in the church, uh, and he probably hates that I say that because they typically do, but he's now the pastor, Emeritus, Emeritus, I don't know how to say it, it's, it's some kind of Latin word, uh, of the Moody Church, but Dr. Erwin Lutzer is with me, and uh, he has a new book where he's addressing the things that are of concern to him as well as the rest of us I know. The book is called no reason to hide looks just like this uh, and it's available wherever you get books and he is hitting the issues that we're seeing every day we're seeing it not just in the news we're seeing it in the churches uh and how do we how do we do this how do we you know prevent the the collapse of a culture it's, it tends to be the cycle of history but i don't think that's you know god's intention at least not of cultures that will turn their face towards him uh, and that's what we want to do. So good conversation today, Judy. Uh, hope you're doing well today. Uh, she says Monday is Canadian Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and so uh, maybe you guys can give a little thanks around the, the chosen on Monday. We'll see. But you are invited to be a part of the conversation if you're watching us live. As always in the replay, we appreciate your comments. Appreciate you subscribing and sharing and liking and following and all those good things. Dr. Lutzer, how are you doing today? Great to have you again. I'm doing very well, and just for the sake of the record, the word is emeritus. Emeritus. And if you ask me what it means, I really don't know. It just means I do whatever I like. But I still continue to represent Moody Church, and you introduced the idea of the culture that is collapsing around us. And, you know, Randy, my desire is not that I think we can necessarily push the culture back, but the church has a responsibility to interact with the culture. Mm. And it's so important for us to realize that we did not ask for this culture war. The culture war came to us, whether we like it or not, and the people who are listening to us right now, they have to engage the culture in business, in law, in education. And uh, I wrote the book to try to help all of us think through what our Christian response should be in the midst of a collapsing culture. Mm-hmm. So I have I have one question. I'd just like your take on this because, you know, I, I talk with a lot of people who are in the program. And one thing that causes problems in churches, and, and it, it, it kind of goes both ways, because some pastors, I literally know some personally who will not endorse a presidential candidate uh, because it will split their church in half because they know that they've got both Democrats and Republicans in the congregation, and they don't want to do that. And I totally understand that. Um, and, and so they they don't speak out on on issues that could be construed as political. 
I know other pastors who are like, man, the church has, has so hitched their wagon typically to the Republican Party or to Trump or, you know, to a, a person. And they're like that, that it can become a bit of idolatry or at least be perceived as we're, we're preaching Republicans as the answer when we know that a political party is not the answer. And then you've got the problem that a lot of issues that are biblical, the the culture has said, no, 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 that's political. A great example would be marriage. I mean, it's it's one man, one woman. That's a biblical stance. And, you know, since Obama legalized gay marriage, that kind of in the culture has gone out the window. And now we've got all sorts of issues. Where How does the church, how do, you know, believers know what is the appropriate discourse that is not strictly political division or partisanship but is actually uh, a biblical stance well my position has always been i never have endorsed a political candidate or a political party but that does not um, hinder us from speaking about the issues the ones that you raised, you know, marriage, they may call that a political issue, but the whole issue of what's happening in our schools, transgenderism, the whole thing, this, of course, is a very biblical issue that is tearing our young people apart and tearing our culture apart. So we should speak about those things. We should also speak about racism and point out one of the longest chapters in my book is on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I point out how this works against us rather than for us when it comes to the business of racial reconciliation. You know, Randy, the church was working toward reconciliation. And then you have uh, CRT, critical race theory, come along and totally destroy it intentionally. So we have to speak about this and show that the Bible has an answer to the racial issue that uh, critical race theory cannot have. So these are the kinds of issues that we can legitimately speak about as believers, because after all, the Bible comments on them and teaches about them. So we don't have to get enmeshed in a political candidate in order to do that. All right, since you since you bring up the the idea of diversity, uh, I mean, you know, scripturally, God has made us a kingdom from every tribe, every nation, and yet churches oftentimes, and I don't view this as some sort of sinister plot on the part of the church. I think it has to do with commonality and oftentimes location, but it it can church a lot of churches can be very uh, one culture you know, a black church, a, a white church. Um, what, what do you, you, you kind of threw some shade on the idea of diversity. Isn't diversity good? Well, the point is God did make us with diversity. The question is whether or not that diversity should divide us or whether or not we can overcome the diversities. Now, you know, you talked about black churches and white churches. Well, that might be necessary in light of their uh, location. But at Moody Church, where it was my privilege to serve for 36 years, we um, had more than 70 different countries of origin Hmm. in our worship services 
every Sunday. And we took delight in that because we live in a very diverse area of the city of Chicago. So that's that's it. But here's the thing. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is really a form of racism. Critical race theory is very racist because it says that um, you have to judge people by the color of their skin and not the content of their character, mm. as Martin Luther taught. So uh, Martin Luther, of King. course, I mean... Uh, Martin Luther King, uh, <laughs> Martin Luther King, how he taught. So the point is that the church has an answer, but critical race theory wants us to shout at one another across racial lines. And, and just think of this. The answer, you know, if you read, for example, White Fragility, which I discuss in my book, when you think about that, it says that uh, only white people can be racist because they are in charge. Randy, <laughs> this is terrible because what it's saying is, is that the answer to racism is actually one power group taking authority and uh, over another. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't locate racism where it should be located namely within every human heart, mm -hmm. the seeds of racism. That doesn't mean that everybody is a racist, just like not everybody is a thief, but the, the, but the seeds of thiefism, namely covetousness, exists in us all. So racism is something that we must locate within the human heart. Mm -hmm. It is not simply a matter of the color of the skin. Yeah, it's kind of like saying only rich people can be greedy because they have the money. I've known lots of poor people that were a lot greedier than some very wealthy people. Uh, because, as you say, it's a condition of the heart. Exactly. And that's why the Bible never says that all rich people are greedy. It warns against riches because there are all of those temptations. But again, it locates the sin within the human heart and not the external circumstance. Mm -hmm. Now, what we must understand is this, critical race theory keeps tearing apart what Jesus died to bring together. Mm. And, uh, you know, you think, for example, of Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, uh, barbarian, Scythian, but all are one in Christ. Hmm. Now, Jews and Greeks had their differences. Barbarians, these different ethnicities, Scythians, and yet there was a transcendent unity that was brought about by the body of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and the death of Christ. So we must help people to see we are going to continue to have our differences. There are differences between ethnicities, but Jesus enables us to overcome that and to help us to see that in Christ we are one. I've I've heard some preachers. I mean, my I'm like, look, love the Lord God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Problem solved if we will actually do that. There would be no thing called racism, you know. Uh, and and I even you know the fundamental idea of race outside of culture, you know, anything that ties to the, 
you know, Darwin's theory of evolution and evolving along different lines. I think it's just all junk science, and I think the church should reject it. But I hear preachers who are taking parts of CRT, some of the ideas that are, you know, uh, a part of some of the popular race theory kind of stuff, and using them, sometimes endorsing them. What what do we what should we think when we hear a religious leader parroting some of this worldly concept and construct of race? I mean, are they just are they just naive or are they, you know, we'd label them a false prophet and, you know, <laughs> I I don't know what to do with some of these leaders that's the right way to handle them sometimes. Do you have any thoughts in that regard because I'm sure you do you do yeah, with leaders all you the know, time. Yeah. In my book, which you've highlighted entitled No Reason to Hide, I have a chapter on the religious left or the Christian left. Mm. And I point out there are two ways that they are submitting to the culture. One way is because of race. I give an illustration there of a church that was split apart because suddenly racial issues became dominant and, uh, you know, there were was the basic acceptance of CRT, mm. ultimately, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. It began to split the church. And the reason for that is one side was getting blamed for everything. The other side was being absolved of everything. But the other way, Randy, and I'd like to speak about this a little bit, perhaps even at length, the church begins to submit morally to such things as same-sex marriage. Now, the, here's the problem. It does it under the guise of love. Mm. But we have to understand that love can be evil. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't stop loving. They just, uh, uh, you know, began to love the wrong things. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of mm. money, lovers of themselves. Wow. So you can have love uh, wrongly applied. Wow, Herein yeah. is love that you keep my commandments. In the Bible, we're not allowed to just give our own definition of love and then move on. So we must recognize that there are certain things that happen in the culture, even within the church, that are really undermining the whole concept of the gospel. In fact, since we're talking about the gospel, let's talk about social justice. Everybody should be involved in justice. Mm -hmm. What does the Lord your God require of you but to do justly? But biblical justice is very different from social justice. Social justice involves a whole constellation of issues. You know, justice for same-sex marriage, justice for transgenderisms, which has its own issues where you have men competing with women in sports, and we could talk about that. Mm. So here's here's a critical verse. I think it's Isaiah 59, verse 12. It says this, Righteousness stands afar off, and justice turns away, because truth has stumbled in the public square. Mm. So unless you have truth in the public square, you're going to find that social justice is going to spill off and social justice is going to be, uh, you know, whatever somebody really wants it to be. 
And Randy, if I could shout it from the housetops, this is what I would say. I would say that social justice at its best is not the gospel, because the gospel is not what we can do for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has done for us. And if we lose that, we lose the center of everything. Mm -hmm. The gospel has certain implications, but let's not talk about the gospel of social justice, lest the impression is given that somehow you have to be involved in social justice to be saved. Mm. Through repentance and faith, we receive the free gift of eternal life for, through Jesus Christ. It is transforming in its power then we can discuss its implications. But the gospel of social justice, I can tell you, is no gospel at all. Yeah, uh, I think we could argue that if it's not biblical justice, it's not justice. Oh, of course it's not justice. You know, if you have, uh, for example, a woman's right, reproductive rights, mm -hmm. That, of course, is an issue of justice in the minds of some, mm. but you and I know it refers to abortion. You have same-sex marriage, which is marriage justice. You have justice for transgenders. You know, Randy, you may be aware of all these things because you stay in touch with the culture, but in the book I tell the story of a Christian school who has filed a lawsuit against the federal government because the government is beginning to say that even in Christian schools, that if you have a girl's dorm, you should be able to have boys who claim to be girls, mm -hmm. transgender uh, boys who are now girls, they should live in the same dormitory. All right, Randy. I don't know if you have children, but if you do, if you have a daughter, yeah. you put her into a Christian school. Yeah. How would you like it if her roommate was born Bert, but claims he's Bertha? <laughs> and yet that's where things are going all under the banner of justice and equality. Yeah. That's why unless you have a biblical view of justice and equality, the culture spins off into what I would consider to be terrible places. Yeah, yeah. If it's my daughter, not happening. <laughs> there's no, there's no. no, there's no debate, no discussion. Neither to no, mine, right? Or not, to not, one of my granddaughters. It's yeah, just not going to happen. Not, yeah, not yeah. happening. But so here's here's I think where some Christians falter, and I think I can point to a scripture that says, "Be angry, but don't sin." Uh, because these things do make you angry. I mean, if I found out my daughter's roommate was a was a guy in a dress, I, I wouldn't be happy about that. But yeah. You have to remember well, that, but don't sin. So he, here's my question for you, uh, the pastor emeritus, since I can say it now, thank you very much. Um, if, 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 if a transgender person comes to Moody Bible Church, what's the response of the church? Well, the response is to welcome him or her. And, uh, you know, we, we know that we have the diverse community. And so, you know, they're welcomed to come and listen, to learn, hopefully to get converted. We have to be welcoming. We have to be able to welcome people without condoning all lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And of course, the world doesn't want to hear that because 
this is also explained in the book, we're living at a time when sexuality is being politicized. You have to make sure that you affirm my sexuality no matter who I am or what I am. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way we live today. And um, sex has been politicized. But at the same time, Jesus said, come on to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, yeah. and I will give you rest. So we, we speak to the whole community, but we speak the gospel. We love them, but at the same time, we warn them. And by the way, getting angry and sinning not, I mean, that's a difficult combination, but of course we can be angry at some things. Nehemiah was very angry with some of the abuses that were going on in his day, but he did something about them. So when we are angry, the way we do not sin is to be able to do something, hopefully, that remedies the situation that commits the situation to God, the difficulty with angry anger is we can end up do something which really is contrary to Christ. Yeah, yeah, no, that is definitely the danger. And that's a, that's a fine line, but that's when we're called to walk. And I, I do believe that, you know, follow the words of Jesus uh, and, and we, can, we can walk there. My concern, my, all my children are in their 20s now, uh, and so, you know, they went through public school and there were a few issues, but they were sort of manageable. I don't know that that's the case today in many public schools. Uh, what do, what do parents need to know and grandparents now that I'm a granddad, what do we need to know about our responsibility for our children and grandchildren when we release them into public schools or even the private schools that are pushing these things that we know are very, very much against Scripture. What do we do? Randy, I believe so strongly that God holds us responsible for the education of our children. And even if we delegate that education to others, we have to be very careful as to what they are being taught. Mm -hmm. In my book, I have a chapter on whether or not we will give our children to be indoctrinated in our public schools. Mm -hmm. I discuss a book that is used here in Illinois, illustrating every form of sexual perversion, illustrated, and yet all of these things are assumed to be normal. So here's what happens. A child is there, he feels guilty because he knows that this is not right, even though he's told it's normal, he knows right well it isn't. So he feels guilty. The guilt leads to depression. And then somebody says, you know what your problem is? You're trans. What you have to do is you are born a boy, but maybe if you become a girl, there'll be some internal alignment and peace. Hmm. Then he comes to his parents and says, mom and dad, I think I'm trans. Now, the reason I wrote that chapter is to help parents think through what do you do to a child and what, how do you answer a child who says, I think I'm trans? Hmm. 
What we have to do is to realize that self-perception is not always an accurate guide as to who we are. <laughs> yeah. You can go into a psych ward and you meet somebody who honestly believes that he's Napoleon, but that doesn't mean that he is Napoleon. Yeah. And therefore, we must recognize that, uh, you know, the person could be wrong. Let's take anorexia. A young woman looks into the mirror and thinks that she is overweight when in point of fact, she's starving herself. Yeah. Do we just say, well, only she knows who she really is. Mm. We have to allow her to continue to have that conception. The answer is no. Yeah. Now, Randy, in the book, 1984, Winston, and we're talking about the book by George Orwell, yeah. he's taken into a room and taught that two plus two is equal to five. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's both. I've often thought about that experience. Was he actually expected to believe that two plus two was five? I don't think so. What they wanted is to make him comfortable living with lies. Mm. Everybody knows that men can't have babies too, or that a woman can father a child. Because after all, you know, sex is separated from gender. Therefore, your method of sexuality would be male, but actually you're a female. This is insanity. Mm. And everybody knows it, but we're expected to live by lies. And while I'm on the topic, it was Voltaire who apparently said that those who get you to believe lies can also get you to commit atrocities. Mm. So parents, you are responsible. And um, there still may be some good uh, public schools left. I don't really know of any. There are faith-based schools that I think are good, but Randy, as you pointed out, some of them are also submitting to the woke culture. Yeah. So we must be careful. But over and over again, leftists, going all the way back to, of course, communism and Hitler, they all believed that the children were the key to the future. Hitler, in effect, said, you can uh, you know, feed your child, you can clothe your child, but the soul belongs to the Reich. Mm. The soul belongs. And Randy, people are feeding their children, they're clothing them, but their soul belongs to the culture. And the cell phone in your teenager's hand does more to inform his or her worldview than an hour of church and an hour of Sunday school. Yeah. So parents know how to answer your child listen to your child, pray for your child, but steer them in the right way. Yeah, and you know, interesting, that, that's an interesting quote from the Third Reich, which we always look at as the most you know, obvious example of evil in, in modern times with Hitler and the Nazis. But what you just said is basically what the uh, education, the National Education Association is, is saying. Like, oh, yeah, yes. you can feed and clothe yes. children, but they... They belong to us, and we're not even going to tell you, know, you if we're going to administer these gender transitioning um, you know, medications and stuff. It's, it's really getting kind of crazy out there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it goes back to Karl Marx. He believed that the family had to be destroyed. Lenin especially was clear about this. 
And they believed that the task of educating children was too important to be left up to parents. Mm -hmm. Wives had to work outside the home so that children would be educated by the state mm -hmm. in all the proper doctrines. So they'd be taught atheism, evolution, and all of the uh, uh, wonders of socialism. And so the cutting off of children from their parents has always been a deep commitment of the radical left. And so teacher unions today, many of them believe indeed that the task of educating your children is too important to be left to you. We're the experts and we'll teach them what they should know. And in so many instances, pornography, all kinds of theories about race, causing guilt, causing depression, mm -hmm. but that's the way of the future, according to these woke theories. Another interesting, you you referenced George Orwell and, and, and Animal Farm, you know, the, the pigs were in charge, there were, the animals were pigs. It's not a euphemism, <laughs> but the the pigs wrote the rules for everybody. And in the beginning, they sounded very reasonable and liberating. But they started tweaking the rules just slightly, just here and there, when nobody was looking. And and I, I you know, read that recently, and I thought that's exactly what the culture has done. Because you know, you say, oh, if you do this, it'll be a slippery slope, and they call you crazy, some right-wing religious extremist. But then you know, you're like 10 years down the road, and it's like, who thought we would ever be having this conversation? I mean, in your lifetime, you, you never thought you'd have to say, no, if you're if you're born a boy, you're you're actually a boy. I mean, that it's the rules just seem to be changing and changing. How do we how do we get back to I don't know that rock solid foundation of truth because i think that's the only thing that'll save us well first of all what you've described is cultural marxism cultural marxism says that we can bring about a marxist state incrementally mm -hmm. but what we have to do is to capture education the media law and in this way and of course the economy in this way we can bring about marxism without a bloody revolution yeah. such as in Russia and in China. Now, if you ask, how do we get back to the bedrock? We have to begin, Randy, as believers, making sure that we are in the bedrock. The church has always been an island of righteousness and a sea of paganism. And what we need to do is to stand against the culture and not submit to it. For example, here in Chicago, there was a teacher in the public school who told me, he was told it is not enough for you to uh, simply tolerate same-sex marriage. If you don't celebrate it, mm. you could lose your job. Mm. Okay, that's a line in the sand. Mm -hmm. He can't celebrate what God has condemned. But here's the question, if he loses his job, is the church going to come around him and say that we support you? We'll even help you financially because you have a wife and children? Mm. I think that this whole collapse of culture is forcing us to rethink the whole idea of church mm -hmm. and how we have to stay together against the culture because um, it is closing, uh, closing in on us on every single uh, place. 
and in all aspects of our culture. You think of the media, we could talk about that. We could talk about law, economics, entertainment, all of these ways the culture is beginning to collapse. The question is, how do we stand against it? And that's what I trust I, I, um, that we can do together yeah. Yeah. as indicated in the book that we are highlighting. Absolutely. Well, that's the book right there that we're highlighting, No Reason to Hide uh, by Erwin Lutzer. And I want to leave this because when we, do, we have these conversations, you can walk away going, oh my gosh, the world's going to hell and there's nothing we can do about it. What is your hope? What is your hope for the future? All right. Psalm 2. You have four voices. I'll just name the voices and one word describe them. The nations are rebelling. You know, they're setting themselves against the Lord, breaking all of his authority. Second voice is God's. He laughs. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs at their futility because we still have to remember that God rules even if our favorite politician does not win. <laughs> yeah. So God, and then you have the voice of the sun. You have installed me as king. I'm going to bring justice. That's the key word. Mm. I will break them like a potter's vessel. And then you have the voice of the Spirit, kiss the Son, worship him, lest he be angry and perish, and you perish. And so, what is the hope? God is in charge. Yeah, He was in charge when the Jews were taken captive and went to Babylon, and evil King Nebuchadnezzar killed Jewish babies by having them thrown against a wall. Mm-hmm. God is always in charge, and he is our hope. And we trust him and his son. And we know eventually how the story is going to turn out. Yep. And I think that's what we're here to do is to to turn that story. I don't think we have to wait for it. You know, as Paul said to Timothy, take hold of that eternal life to which you were called. We bring heaven here, and uh, I appreciate you shining the light on these issues and giving some people some direction to deal with some things that, they may not understand or know how to deal with. Uh, it's, it's good. It's good to address it uh, and to point people back to the Scripture. So, Dr. Litzer, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Randy. God bless. Appreciate all you guys out there. You can check out the book, No Reason to Hide, wherever you get books. And one more time, Monday, Tuesday, going to be good. We'll be on the set of The Chosen. So a lot of good things happening here. Come back. We will see you again next week on Life Today Live. You're the fruit. You're the fruit. You're the fruit. Exports.